This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns on Monday. We continue our comprehensive coverage of Ontario's long-term care crisis with a specific focus on the tragic and devastating situation at Tender Care Living Nursing Home in Scarborough. Yesterday, we learned two more second-wave COVID-19-related deaths were reported at Tender Care, bringing the number of deaths of residents during the current outbreak to 43. We're also hearing of dismal conditions inside tender care in what some critics are calling a humanitarian crisis. Is this another sign that the Ford PCs, and in particular, LTC Minister Marilee Fullerton, is doing a poor, even dismal job of handling the COVID situation in nursing homes? Or is this happening, as she says, because community spread is far greater than back in the spring? Dr. Fullerton has even gone so far as to say management by the government of long-term care homes is much better now than it was in the first wave. We asked Dr. Fullerton to join us today, but her office says, quote, she is too busy dealing with the LTC crisis. Joining us to react to what's happening at Tender Care and in the wider LTC sector, Andrea Horvath, leader of the official opposition NDP, Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos, a long-term care researcher and advocate at York University, and David Kravitz. Chief Marketing Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. Uh, we will talk to the NDP leader first. Andrea, welcome. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here, Jane. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, before we talk about Dr. Fullerton, long-term care and tender care, I want to ask you about the Rod Phillips situation, since I have you. Uh, we will have a fulsome discussion in the next half hour of the show, but since we have you now, your reaction to the finance minister leaving the country on a personal trip and what should be done about this? Well, I think anybody who's looking at this will see somebody who is, um, you know, pretty high up in the, in the foreign government, so, you know, number two job. Uh, and he's ignoring public health uh, recommendations and uh, uh, and rules. He's shown an an enormous lack of judgment. Um, and then he tried to kind of cover up what he had done. And then now he's suggesting that to the, nobody in the premier's office knew that he was going, um, you know, away to uh, you know to to some you know tropical uh, trip. So I mean, it, it either. Either Mr. Ford isn't really being truthful about uh, knowing about this trip, or Mr. Phillips uh, is showing extreme disregard uh, for the premier of the province. And so on all of those counts, uh, Ford, I think, has no uh, choice. He needs to get uh, get rid of Phillips. Phillips has to be removed from the cabinet. He's just shown such a a, just such a poor, poor uh, judgment here. Absolutely lack of judgment. Do you think it would make a difference with Ontarians if the premier were to say to Rod Phillips, you need to step aside from, as you point out, the second in command position because you should have known better? Well, you know what? I think, I think that's what Ontarians expect. Like people have been sacrificing enormously 
you know, during this uh, COVID-19 crisis, everyday folks are, I mean, they're missing their loved ones. They went through, a, you know, much of this holiday season, all of the holiday season without seeing, uh, you know, their, their, their family members, their parents, their kids, their grandkids. I mean, let's face it. People are making enormous sacrifices, and the finance minister of Ontario decides he's just going to pack a bag and take a trip to St. Mark's. I'm sorry, uh, you know, Ontarians are are rightfully, I think, outraged by this, and Doug Ford needs to start holding his uh, MPPs and his cabinet ministers to account. I mean, I mean, I just, I can't, I can't imagine uh, that that Ford wouldn't hold Phillips to account. I mean. Everybody, I think, in Ontario uh, is watching this play out and just is shocked. Um, you know, we all have to sacrifice, but the finance minister doesn't. It, it makes no sense. It's not very often that a premier or prime minister is being asked to fire two of his cabinet people. Um, Dr. Fullerton is certainly, uh, she has been on the radar in the focus for quite some time as not handling the crisis. Uh, I think a lot of people will cut her the slack that back in the first wave, Everybody was just trying to adjust to the crisis, including in long-term care. But there were a period, there was a period of months where she could have protected residents of long-term care for the second wave. And that has not materialized. So you, uh, along with CARP members, are calling for the Premier to ask Dr. Fullerton to step aside. Uh, But what do you, what do you make of her rationale, her defense, that the management has been much better during the second wave and that community spread is to blame for what's happening. Well, I mean, I, I was, um, I was, I was really disappointed to hear the minister try to deflect any responsibility whatsoever for the crisis. that's uh, once again, ripping through our long-term care homes. And I have to say, I mean, my heart goes out to the families who are watching once again, as their loved ones are at risk in these homes, as the government's done really nothing uh, to, um, you know, to, to change the course uh, of, uh, of uh, you know, the impact on long-term care of COVID-19. They had all summer long, as you said. Uh, what we got from the government is some, you know, promise that at some point in, in you know, the next two or three or four or five years, uh, we're going to see uh, some kind of investment in, in more staffing. But in the summertime, they could have been ramping up the staffing. And, and I don't I don't agree with the minister that things are honky-dory in long-term care in terms of management and staffing. That's not the case. In fact, we went into the second wave with significant shortages of staff. Some were estimating up to 30% uh, fewer staff in long-term care when the second wave hit than when the first wave hit because people, of course, uh, got sick. Some of some folks got sick. Others uh, decided they weren't going to take the risk to their own health because the government didn't do enough uh, to uh, to protect people. So uh, I mean, other other provinces did. I mean, let, let's face it. Quebec, you know, put out a call to hire 10,000 uh, new PFWs. British Columbia, I think, is, uh, hired 7,000 over the summer, particularly to shore up their long-term care homes. Uh, and Ontario really sat on its hands and did nothing. And uh, for the minister to suggest uh, that uh, that this is, um, you know, this is, you know, because of community spread, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, what the reason is. There wasn't proper infection uh, control and uh, and uh, prevention uh, protocols in place. There should be an IPAC specialist in every single long-term care home. There wasn't enough staff. There still isn't enough staff. Um, you know, we watched as private-operated 
homes, you know, we're, we're uh, giving money to their shareholders um, as opposed to providing them better service and, and, and better care to our loved ones in long-term care. So, you know, this system has been a problem for a long time. Uh, it took the Canadian Armed Forces, I think, to give uh, uh, Ontario, um, you know, Ontarians a, a real look at what's been happening in long-term care, and the Liberals own a lot of that. But, you know, this Ford government really did nothing uh, to, um, you know, to, to learn from the first wave and to, and to save lives in long-term care in the second wave. And it's, it, you know, it's it's just heartbreaking. It's tragic. Uh, and it, it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't be happening. I'm speaking with NDP leader Andrea Horvath. It's Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Uh, you've asked Premier Ford to shuffle his cabinet and move Dr. Fullerton out of the LTC portfolio. Moving somebody else in from cabinet or caucus uh, with a year and a half to go before the next election, will this make a difference in improving long-term care? Well, uh, well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see the government uh, with a plan. To be, to be honest, I mean, the, Mr. Ford says that by 2025, um, you know, they're, they're going to have uh, more staff in, in long-term care. So, what for the next four? Uh, four years, we're we're just going to sit back and you know watch uh, things continue to to uh, to deteriorate in our long term care homes. Uh, it's not just about having more staff; it's about paying people uh, a decent wages. It's about making sure they have full time work and, and don't have to go to two and three uh, different locations to to cobble together together enough hours to to make a living. Uh, it means having the right mix of staff and the the, the numbers of staff necessary. Uh, to um, to give four hours minimum of hands-on care to each and every resident. And what, what Ford's saying is uh, they're using weasel words and they're saying an average of four hours of long-term care for, or, or rather hands-on care for every resident. Well, that's that's not good enough. Every resident deserves to have, you know, four hours of, of hands-on care. In fact, 4.2 hours is what the, uh, what the uh, uh, experts are saying uh, these days. And to suggest that that none of these things um, can be done or should be done in Ontario, which is what the government seems to be indicating, is just—I mean, it's just not acceptable. Andrea, what what is the plan? What should the plan be uh, to uh, brace long-term care to be able to deal with the rest of the COVID crisis and then uh, have acceptable, humane conditions moving forward? Well, I mean, uh, uh, it's interesting that you ask that, Jane, because uh, uh, a couple of months ago now, I put out I put out an actual platform piece for uh, for the next election. Uh, well, this was such such a horrifying situation uh, that I thought people need to know that it can be better than this. That w- that we don't have to accept uh, this kind of uh, uh, lack of care of our seniors. And so that platform piece included all kinds of things. Some of them I've already mentioned. Uh, it also includes though an acknowledgement that people want to stay in their homes longer, but we don't have a home care system that provides folks with the opportunity to do that. Uh, and so we need to shore up our, our home care system as well. We need to get the profits out of both home care and long-term care and make sure that every dime that we're investing is going to the care of our loved ones. Uh, we need to make sure that they have, uh, you know, they have a dignity and quality of life uh, as they go through their golden years. I mean, that's that's what anybody would want. That's what I would want. And that's what I would want of, of my family members, my loved ones, my neighbors. Uh, I mean, and I think people should be able to expect that. So it means both uh, long-term care and home care. It also means uh, making sure that when we, when we invest in long-term care, we don't continue uh, to just build these, um, you know, these institutions, you know, these, these big warehouse type institutions for folks. But let's, let's start scaling that down a little bit and, and make these, uh, these, uh, 
locations uh, more home-like for people. And let's make sure that we're being sensitive to and, and providing uh, care that's, that's culturally um, appropriate uh, so that people can get, uh, you know, the foods that they're used to and, uh, and care in, in the language that they're accustomed to. All of these things would make long-term care and home care uh, a lot more humane and uh, and a lot more uh, um, you know a, a lot more kind of what people deserve. You know, it, it, it's it's what people deserve and what we can we, we can provide uh, if uh, if it, if we make it a priority. I mean, that's the bottom line. It has not been a priority for the Ford government, notwithstanding uh, Mr. Ford's. Um, you know, a false claim that he had put a iron ring around long-term care back in the spring. That never happened. It still hasn't happened. Uh, you know, he keeps saying he'll spend, he'll spare no expense. That's obviously not true. Uh, so it does mean uh, that we need to make those investments. We have to make it a priority and make those investments. Andrea, thank you for your time today. My pleasure, Jane. Thank you. Ontario NDP leader, the leader of the official opposition, Andrea Horvath. Now, waiting on the line to comment uh, has been David Kravitz, who is the chief marketing officer at CARP, a new vision of aging, along with VP here at Zoomer Media, and Dr. Vivian Stamata. Um, <laughs> I knew I was going to do that. Dr. Vivian, help me out. <laughs> Stamatopoulos. Stamatopoulos. Don't worry, I get it all the time. <laughs> Stamatopoulos, right? <laughs> That's it. Yes. And um, David, just to piggyback on what Andrea Horvath was saying, the petition at carp.ca, which has been calling for the premier to remove his long-term care minister, Dr. Fullerton, it has garnered uh, immense response. We're up to uh, 4,500 replies uh, to uh, people who've signed the petition, about half of whom have actually added comments, anecdotes, stories about their own uh, experience uh, with this. And to be very clear and piggybacking on something you said at the start of your interview with, uh, with Andrea Horvath, uh, it, there is some slack that was cut for the ministry and the minister at the very beginning of the crisis. There's also a recognition, and CARP's been very clear, that some of the longer-term plans uh, of the ministry, which can only take place in the longer term, are sound. Nobody's blaming Marilee Fullerton for the years of neglect that preceded her. Nobody's saying that she she, she can uh, reinvent the entire system uh, in a matter of a few weeks. So some of these investments are longer term. Some of the plans they've announced are sound. The problem has been, what are you doing with the emergency uh, Dr. Stamatopoulos called it in one quote, a uh, mass casualty event that is occurring right now. And that's where the ministry has been frozen in the headlights. That's where they have not taken any action. And that is the reason for our uh, call on uh, Premier Ford to fire the ministry. Long term, they may have some good ideas down the road, and they're putting some of those into writing now, which is great. They weren't to blame for the origin of the problem in the first place, but there was a crisis. There was an emergency going on right before their eyes, and uh, their actions are totally inadequate. And and David, as we know, it, it was in the news uh, a few days ago, and Fight Back also talked about it. There was a recent inspection uh, at Tender Care, which is... Um, unfortunately becoming uh, a focus for the devastation in the second wave. Well, it's true. And I've, I've dug up something in between that's even more shocking. This report on tender care was filed by the ministry's inspector on December 16th and talked about uh, the scope of noncompliance being widespread, 
staff not properly following um, infection prevention rules, misusing personal protective equipment, non luck PPE caddies outside rooms, a whole list of things. But here's the thing that's, uh, that I, I found out. They had a previous inspection on October 16th in that home and a previous one to that on August 4th. Both of those previous inspections were in response to patient complaints, one about verbal abuse, one about physical abuse. That's fine. Nothing totally appropriate to send in an inspector when there's a complaint. But my question is, didn't the inspector see anything wrong when they were inside the building on October 16th? Dr. Stamatopoulos. Did they go bad in eight weeks so that there was widespread right. non-compliance? Where, what were they doing? They were inside Absolutely. the They had a person inside the yeah. building on October 16th. Dr. Stamatopoulos, uh, you can, I, I know you want to comment on what you're hearing from David. Oh, I, I, you know what? This wasn't the first incident of this. So Sunnycrest and Whippy was consumed. The whole home has has been devastated by the outbreak. Everyone, everyone at the home has actually experienced COVID. So the same thing happened. They had a ministry inspector there, found the exact same thing, just completely preventable errors here. This was negligence. And and I was asking those same questions. And I was being very critical at that earlier uh, Sunnycrest report, which came out the November 30th. You were in there presumably for a week, probably, at least a few days, making these observations, how is there no direct path to your minister, right, to say, you need to get help in here immediately? What, you just go home, you write the report, you file it, you call it a day while people are dying, and while the quicker, every single day you waste before getting help in there, the the body bags line up. So there's negligence here at all levels, frankly. I don't understand how we have inspectors in these facilities and we don't have people whistleblowing soon, sooner than this. You know how we find out that there's a problem? We get reports from family members and we get reports from the usually hospital staff that go in as emergency reactive uh, measures. And they're the ones that are completely disgusted with what they see and they whistleblow. I mean, this shouldn't be happening. Dr. Stavitopoulos, um in terms of the reaction from the long-term care minister, Marilee Fullerton, in terms of damage control, yeah. having her say, which she says her heart goes out to everybody who's lost family members, uh, you know, the usual lines about thoughts and prayers, yeah. uh, and that the staffing levels at tender care are stable. Yeah. That this is her reaction. <laughs> now, I, you know, I'm not her communications person, but I would think with your protest there yesterday, had she come out, had she actually, you know, listened to people, gone inside even in full paraphernalia to see what was going on, that would mean the world to people. Listen, and this is the most insulting part. When I came home from spending the day with these poor families and hearing the accounts, and I've been talking to them for the last week now, so I, but, but when you actually meet them in person and, and you, you see the pain in their eyes and you know you're hearing accounts from staff and the few family members who have gone in for terminal visits and they will tell you there's nobody around. There are no staff. So who are, who are you getting this information from? Because as far as I know, Minister Fullerton has not stepped into one long-term care home this whole outbreak. I would love somebody to ask her the pointed question. And I remember I was on an AM640 segment a couple months ago, and Greg Brady asked her this very question. When was the last time you've been in a long-term care home? She couldn't answer because I don't think she's actually stepped foot inside one of these homes. So who are you to say that this home is stable? From who, where are you hearing this from? 
Where are you hearing this from, Minister? Because everybody else on the ground floor is saying that this is an emergency crisis and you are you have the audacity to say this. Well, we are literally in front of the facility begging for you to send in the military and the Red Cross because these hospital teams cannot manage this crisis on their own. And they have admitted as much. They need help. And you are sitting here effectively lying to us. And I don't know if you understand how insulting that was to all of us families and the people who are supporting these poor families who are at that same moment protesting for help. We do have uh, we do have some listeners, uh, David. Just uh, I do want to ask you about a couple of things, David. But we have a listener on the line, um, actually from San Jose, California, Keen Me, uh, whose aunt was in the home. Is at tender care? Is that right? Yes, that's right. So, what's your story? What would you like to add? Um, well, so I I, I just um, called in and and, and heard. Um, a couple of speakers before me. Um, I just wanted to share our devastating story about um, there was the point about certainly neglect. We are certainly feeling that. Our aunt was tested positive on December the 18th. Um, the family tried to follow up on her condition. There was very little information being provided. We had to call. We were constantly bugging them. Um, we were told that you know, she had no symptoms in the beginning. Um, then we were told that she wasn't eating. Um, and, and next thing we know, um, on December the 26th, we were told that she needed to, to be, um, to be admitted to the hospital and that her condition, um, got worse. Uh, upon, upon getting to the hospital, the doctors, um, told us that she was severely dehydrated. Um, she was having difficulty breathing and that she basically would it wouldn't make it and would have four, 24 to 48 hours to, 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 you know, to, to, so that, that's it. That's, that was her time. Um, on December 27th, we got the call that she passed. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, oh, so, so as, as we are still processing this tragic loss, we are seeing and I think hearing from other families that there is this pattern where they tell us nothing, you know, everything's fine. Um, we don't hear from them, and then next thing, next thing you know, you get that tragic call. So, um, yeah, there, there's clearly a mess over there, and and they need so much help. And I, I I think we're starting to get some attention with the families protesting and all of that. But there's there there's not there's not enough time. There there needs to be more and more to be done to save the families that are still in there. We really thank you uh, to take the time to call, uh, especially a painful story about an aunt who you loved dearly. Um, we're very sorry for your loss. Thank you for calling. Uh, David, uh, you know, when you hear those stories, um, in terms of any positives that are going on, um, along with Fullerton saying staffing is stable, which does not sound at all like that is the case. North no. York General Hospital has taken over operations. Fullerton has also announced news that Grace Health is going to take residents in situations where there are COVID challenges. How much good will this do compared well, to, you know, what we're hearing? 
it's too little too late, I think. And yeah. I, first of all, let me express condolences to the family of that caller. It's a horrible story. But I also want to address something you quoted Fullerton is saying about the it's it's because of community spread. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's winning an argument nobody's making. Nobody's saying yeah. Yeah. that the infection <laughs> rate should be zero. And if it's anything above zero, it's all her fault. We know it's spread. We know that's precisely why I'm going to follow the up on that. Iron ring was was needed. And yeah. so, yes, it's spreading. Yes, they knew it was coming. What have they done about it? And the answer, unfortunately, is not enough, not early enough. Dr. Vivian? Here's the thing that really irritates me about her line of defense. And, and not just, you know, her saying this, but a lot of these for-profit um, negligent bad actors that we uh, that tend to, they're the ones that are failing these family members. If you look at the data, the data doesn't lie. The most uh, aggressive and high mortality outbreaks are at for-profit homes, both in wave one and the second wave. And uh, what, what she leaves out, Minister Fullerton, and I know that study, I have read it, I know Nathan Stahl who did the study, and what she left out is that, sure, the greatest factor of the a virus entering the home will be rises in community transmission. However, it's what happens when that virus enters the home that matters. And what we are seeing in homes like Tender Care and homes like Sunnycrest and the majority for-profit bad actors that is what matters. They cannot control the outbreak when it enters the home. And when you actually get inspectors in there and when you hear reports from the ground floor, it is because of preventable negligence. And Minister Fullerton, it is her job to be overseeing what is happening in this sector. And she hasn't been. Things like implementing infection prevention and control managers at each home. That was something that the long-term care inspectors told her to do. That is something that we have been telling her to do for months. In addition to um, the fact that Quebec has been doing it for months successfully. Why haven't you done that? That's an easy fix. You get an independent person in there, and that could have prevented what happened to tender care. This is preventable error, negligence on the part of these bad actors. And instead of holding them to account, you draft legislation to get them a get-out-of-jail-free card. And you effectively legislated negligence as acceptable. What message does that send to families? It is despicable. If you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, Jane Brown for Libby's Nimer, along with David Kravitz, who is uh, the Chief Marketing Officer at CARP and also VP here at Zoomer Media, along with Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos. Uh, she is a long-term care researcher and advocate. Um, we want to go to one more call here uh, before I, I ask you a couple more questions and we wrap up this segment. Joan in North York, go ahead. Yes, I've called in before. I hear all this talk about we don't have enough PSWs. What are we doing, as the opposition, Andrea Horvath, what she's doing to encourage people to take the course to become a PSW? Um, and where do you get these PSWs? I don't, I hear people talking about it all the time, but there's nothing being done to pay them to take the course and to get in there and work. So that's my question. Okay, thank you, Joan. Uh, David, certainly there has been talk, at least from Premier Ford and Dr. Fullerton, about getting more PSWs hired and brought into the system. But it doesn't seem like there's any clear path as to how that will happen. There isn't a clear path. And I come back to the same theme again. If you're doing everything you possibly can and the results are still bad because it's a serious pandemic... That's one thing. But if you're dropping the ball on stuff that shouldn't be happening, uh, so what is the plan for more PSWs right now? How many is it realistic to recruit right now? 
radio silence on that topic. What are you doing to inspect all the homes right now? How dare you have had an inspector inside tender care on October 16th saying nothing, and then eight weeks later it's a, it's a mess, and the inspector says, yeah, I saw it everywhere I went. How can that be possible? I think that's what the, the, the problem is, and that's where the ministry, and I think Minister Fullerton doesn't understand the, the, the outrage. It's that they're not doing what they could do, uh-huh. even though, even if what they could do isn't the total solution, fair enough. It's not going to save every single solitary life because this is a tragedy, fair enough. But when you neglect things that you, that are preventable, when you don't pick up yet all summer long, to inspect every single home in the province for this topic, nothing. And I think that's why, and as a result, and I'm thinking back to two callers ago from California whose aunt tragically died, the, the patients in tender care have had to create a WhatsApp group among themselves yep. to yep. keep themselves informed because they can't get a straight answer out of the, out of yep. the uh, home itself. Is that, is that the standard of care? Is that what's acceptable in Ontario in Doctor, the year 2020? Doctor, is, the, is there neglect inside tender care, and you mentioned Sunnycrest as well, to the point where people will die of neglect uh, as, as it stands right now? Yes, people will die of dehydration. They'll die of malnutrition. They already have. This is, this, yeah. They already have, absolutely. And here's the thing about the, the staffing question. I'm really glad that that lady asked that question because uh, the problem is, it's not that we can't get PSWs or nurses, and frankly, they should be, first of all, targeting nurses, because we know that across this sector, it's nurses that are, we don't have enough nurses, right? And even the, the home is admitted here at Tender Care, they have enough PSWs, according to Minister Fullerton, but yet we are hearing from North York General, it's the nurses. And we've seen this, listen, this goes back 20 years. This goes back to when the majority of homes were not-for-profit and municipally owned. These homes were were staffed by nurses. Nurses garner a higher wage, they're a skilled, regulated profession, and they undergo more training. So they get they get paid more, and that's understandable. Uh, and then when you saw the for-profit model really start to take over, that's when you saw over the last 20 years, the staffing mix flip on its head. And now you, you start to see the ratio of nurses dwindle, and now the vast majority, 58%, of the long-term care workforce in Ontario is PSWs. And now they're starting to augment PSWs with resident care aides, which has zero qualifications. So you're trying to get the, the lowest, qualifi- lowest qualified people in there because you can pay them less. And unfortunately, what they are doing is they are exploiting gendered and racialized workforces. These are women, women of color, women that are often new to Canada. And, um, and they are exploiting these workforces that they deem as cheap and disposable, quite frankly. And, um, and a lot of the reports we're hearing about mistakes being made are re- untrained junior staff who are not prepared to be working in this most vulnerable sector at this most difficult time. This is when you need the most skilled healthcare professionals in there, which is why we've been calling on the military, because the military mm-hmm. have nursing teams. We need more nurses. Then we need PSWs. What we don't need is resident care aides and volunteers who don't have healthcare training and expertise to be thrown in unfairly into the most dangerous sector. And that's exactly what our government is doing. Final question to you, David, because we do need to change topics. Um, but this has been a riveting conversation. Uh, if Premier uh, if Premier Ford does not fire Marilee Fullerton, uh, he, he did bring in the military back in the spring. Uh, is that something he could do to make a difference at this point? 
Yes, I think I think it's it's. I want to be really clear. Uh, we want the problem solved. That's much more important to us than whether or not uh, Fullerton actually survived. Mm-hmm. We wanted her fired because we thought that the ministry needed, and it still needs a wake up call. That all the people that work there, some of them earning, you know, high, you know, so six figure salaries need to be mm-hmm. shown maybe with shock therapy. Hey, this is serious. It cost the minister her job. Better get on the case. But getting on the case is the real objective here. So if she survives, but somehow the government uh, decides to is shocked into taking the necessary action, we're going to consider that a good outcome where right. it's not just you going after her head for the sake of going after her head. We want it fixed. We want the government to treat an emergency the way an emergency should be treated. Yes, it's fair to look ahead of other long-term solutions and things that are going to take years and deserve to take years. That's fine. But the absence of any coherent action in the here and now is costing lives as we speak. And that's what's got to be fixed. We will leave it there. I'm sorry I couldn't get to all the calls. I really appreciate uh, the time you both spent with us here today on Zoomer Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Long-term care advocate, Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos and David Kravitz, vice president at Zoomer Media and chief marketing officer at CARP. And by the way, there's more information as well as that petition at carp.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.